I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You are in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. That spider game sounds way cooler than manta rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went out and recruited one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Hello. How you doing, sir? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, hi, man. I'm good. Uh, welcome yourself. Welcome listeners to I, 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 another what should be uh okay episode, I guess. I, I I think so. I think we got some good stuff. There. I did. I did realize that I did that. Hello, welcome, welcome. I sounded very much like John Oliver there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys' accents are different, are they not? Uh, yeah. Where's he? I'm not sure which part of the UK he's from. A posh part, I'm guessing, by the sound of his accent. But maybe not. I thought his accent. He has said in multiple interviews that his accent is a lower, commoner accent. So oh, really? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but but it still sounds more superior than the American accent. I guess that's what he's kind of implying by yeah. by that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because well, mostly the Americans come to him and say like, ooh, that British accent, you can say anything. And it sounds so smart. And he's like, mm, not back home. Well, there you go. And, it, and that's basically one of the plot lines for Love Actually, right there and then. Uh, never saw it. Really? Oh, Flash. God, it's a... It, that well, is I to say, I haven't seen it. It's a Christmas movie. So you should put it on your list for this year. The only Christmas movies I'm 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 into are Die Hard and Gremlins, maybe a bit of Home Alone, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, that's my personal I mean, favorite. I get that it's a classic and stuff, but I don't know. It just seems kind of maybe it's because like all the other like Christmas or you know those type of movies are now like done. That inspired all these other ones that are like, oh my god, it's Christmas, everything's going wrong, the turkey's burnt, the lights won't go on, and it's just like, yeah, I fucking get it. <laughs> Stressful. <laughs> I don't know. This has never been my favorite. But it's very realistic, you know, true to life in many ways. You know, you I always get know, that my... one cousin turn up in an RV and pouring liquid sewage down a storm drain. Happens to me almost every Christmas. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, mine are... Uh... Mine are always quite lovely. Never really had a problem. But you know what this also, this also is the season of? The new Star Wars movie. And we Ooh. are both going to see it this weekend. So I just got to say that we're I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I'm excited as well. And just before we, we started uh, recording, uh, so actually Flash is going to see it on Thursday. And I'm going to see it on Friday. So um, to anyone that is listening before this goes out, my phone will be turned off from around... What time are you going to see it on Thursday? <laughs> It'll be turned off from whatever time Flash is going to the cinema, so there is absolutely no chance of him spoiling it for me. I'm just going to get out of the out of the theatre and just send you the longest WhatsApp voice message. 
of just like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what happens. Here's who dies, first of all. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Go through it all. Yeah. No, apparently it's, it's the, you know, the, the, the Twitter sphere is all a buzz. Yeah. So, it, well, yeah. yeah and um, as we said, um, we, both, we both read The Best Since Empire, and Empire is my favorite. So, well, Empire is the best one. I mean, well, you know, not because it's my favorite, although that probably does have some sort of sway with some, some people out there, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm super excited about it. If it's anywhere near as good as Empire, that's exactly what this franchise needed. I mean, we're both diehard fans. I'm sure a lot of the people listening are, are, are fans. Um, and so it's for anyone that was like not super happy with the last one, gear up, get your tickets because this might be it. Uh, and, you know, maybe be careful next uh, episode after this because we'll do our best not to let it slip. But goodness gracious, I'm excited. Yeah, we, we're going to have to keep the excitement in check, can't we? We uh, What we don't want to do is letting the cat out of the bag to our listeners and then, you know, us getting lynched the next time we're seen in public. <laughs> ah, do people even really know what we look like? Mm, I think, yeah, I think they've got a rough idea. Handsome, rugged. Uh, basically, yeah. This kind, of, this kind of thing. This kind of thing. All right. Well, enough of the, enough of the uh, idle chit chat. I mean, let's 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 get to what we what we're here to do. What the people really want to hear. Well, and which I, is and more I, physical descriptions of ourselves. And, so, well, six about, foot three, about ten inches. <laughs> um, in the warm weather, obviously. So I, I actually thought, Flash, when you uh, when you said you know what this is, the season four. Uh, and then you went to Star Wars. I actually thought you were making a, a cheesy segue into my first item that I was going to. I was put on. I was, oh, okay, and I was okay. waiting. I was. I laid it out for you so that you could pick up on it here, and we could overly explain it and unpack it for the listeners, and okay. uh, move into the first story. It's what we do. It, it is. Right, well, actually, before we go into that, you mentioned uh, Die Hard as being one of your favorite Christmas movies. Um. And there is a, it probably won't be on your Twitter feed because you're not based in the UK and you don't watch Channel 4, but Channel 4, one of the TV channels here, showing Die Hard at the weekend. But to publicise uh, this, uh, they sent out a tweet this week uh, basically saying um, it was 29 years ago uh, this weekend that Sergeant Al Powell uh, stumbled upon a terrorist plot and by <laughs> acting on it, saved hundreds of lives in the process. Uh <laughs> The documentary Die Hard will be shown at 10 o'clock on this Sunday, <laughs> which I just thought was a brilliant, brilliant tweet. Um, but then somebody that's, had that's to spoil it. he got invited to the party, pal. But but then some somebody spoiled it by replying, going, well, I see the fact that you're neglecting to mention that you also shot a child previously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, for God's sake. Yeah, but he felt so really well bad about it. it. He did, yeah. So that should be fine. Uh, right, yeah. So... Tis the season to be jolly, tis the season for Christmas movies, tis the season for Star Wars, woohoo. Also the season for viruses, respiratory viruses, the common cold, influenza. More importantly, Flash, for you and I, man flu. Tis the season for man flu. And, it, and, and the struggle is real. It is. And now we have scientific proof published in the British Medical Journal, not one of these screw up your nose and blow your nose on it and wipe your ass and thrust it down the toilet, science journals. No, the British Medical Journal. We're talking proper science here. Uh, 
Um, yeah. And actually, a proper science by a Canadian scientist. So, almost like the perfect double there. Uh, so I would say it just keeps getting better. Well, well, let's let's see if hopefully at the end of the story you'll continue with that line of thought, but maybe I can derail <laughs> it in the process. Uh, so, Dr. Kyle Sue um, from Memorial University in Newfoundland um, has basically published a paper showing that man flu might actually exist. Uh, the basis for this is that um, they've gone back and looked at some other studies and then uh, some studies in the lab, which basically show that men have a weaker immune response to viral respiratory infections, and in particular, influenza-type viruses. Um, what they found was, by going back and looking at things like this, is that um, symptoms were worse in men like this. They had longer-lasting symptoms. Uh, they were more likely to be hospitalized, uh, and worse still, they had a higher uh, rate of mortality. Um, and they complained more. And they complained more, obviously, which originally I was like, well, surely if they just did this as a questionnaire, the men just moan more, and that's what uh, is skewed for studying. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out, no, they've looked at they've 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 done it in an unbiased way, not just relying on a questionnaire. Um, also, they called upon the fact that um, there's been some studies done in mice especially shows that if you increase the level of testosterone in the mice, it decreases the immune response specifically to strains of influenza virus. Um, Not to all viruses, but specifically to influenza. Um, And then also along that line, what they also discovered is um, women mount a different immune response altogether against influenza. Um, And I know we've touched on it in previous episodes. What I thought would really sort of uh, get your... Uh, interest your goat almost uh, flashes then they started speculating some of the reasons for this um and it was primarily around the fact that um evolutionary wise uh the man would then focus his energy rather than fighting immune disease uh, mounting an immune response and fighting disease uh the male would be more likely to focus energy on reproduction and hunter gathering and protection um one of the other arguments was well you know if he is mounting a weaker immune response um, then you don't want him to be out and about. So therefore, by producing him, it will make him be more bedridden, more likely to stay in the cave, and mm. therefore less likely to be eaten by a predator if he was out and about feeling unwell. Or, in, or infect others, I guess you could say. Well, yeah, that as well. So, yeah, so I, it, it was only a brief story. Uh, and I, I think the article itself is a little bit tongue-in-cheek in parts of it as well. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the BMJ are having <laughs> a little bit... You don't say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think it's there, and I think by us broadcasting this, I think therefore, you know, to any male listeners out there, the next time your uh, mum, other half, wife, girlfriend uh, tries to berate you for, you know, being unwell, and, and you know, you saying you just don't understand, you can now throw scientific fact, peer peer reviewed, published paper in their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everybody wants that ammunition, right? But I like that this. I like that the the. It's not like because when you say when you say man flu, and I think the way that you talk about it, it's like oh, it's like a different virus that's super strong. It's like no, we just have shitty immune systems. <laughs> we yeah. so it's like the whole idea that like oh, men just can't handle it. You know, they're just always complaining, and they just it's the same thing, and they just can't. So it actually is exactly what people have been saying, and that uh, we just can't handle it. We just we're not designed. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, you can't handle the flu. Yeah. Um, 
the idea though that it like there's some evolutionary you know this behavioral evolutionary I'm link just to it light the blue touch paper and sit back and let you go on this one flash i know it's a favorite well, of yours it's pretty fucking flimsy if you ask me <laughs> uh oh yeah it's, it's yes it is a thing of mine i mean we touch on it every time we talk about parasites manipulating behavior and stuff but it is it's like you could just dar dar Darwinian theory is almost so good at explaining everything that you can make anything fit into it. You know, so you could just be like, oh, well, yeah, he was, men were supposed to be doing, uh, you know, the, the hard labor work. So they didn't have time to put in or they didn't have energy to put in the immune system. It's like, that is not really how it works, I don't think. And how would you ever, like, you can't, there's no proof for that. There's no empirical test for that. There's no way to know that. More than likely, the fact that you add testosterone to mice and they then like female mice and then they have a poor response to influenza influenza basically just says that it's something to do with testosterone and male hormones that some byproduct you know is the byproduct of which is that it interacts with the immune system and makes it unable to handle this one disease because of you know maybe testosterone affects respiratory you know respiratory cells or the immune cells in such a way that they don't quite bind to influenza or something like this. That's the obvious answer. That's the the better answer. And it's just, there's no need to throw this. I guess if they're trying to be tongue in cheek and go with this whole gender thing, then that's what they're doing it. And I'm just poking, you know, getting too overly worked up about it, but it just, my goodness, when you don't want to talk about my goat and something getting it, this is it. Well, I was just going to say, Flash, you know, calm down a little bit because if you get stressed, that will increase the level of corticosteroids in your bloodstream and weaken your immune system. You're then therefore more likely to get influenza and therefore more likely to get man flu. So, you know, take take a breath. Take a breath. No, the thing that's going to get me the man flu is the fact that i got so much testosterone raging through me, bro. I'm like the Hulk, man. Well, that's true. It also means you're more likely to go bold within the next few years. So. <laughs> You know, I think I could if I went bald on the on my head, uh, as long as I could keep this beard, you know, and then I could be the you know the bald guy with the beard. But yeah, what was his name in the game? Guess who? <laughs> I don't know, Baldo. <laughs> he was the old odd one. And I, just I'm not a huge uh, Marvel aficionado, but I don't think the Hulk had anything to do with high testosterone levels. It was gamma radiation, wasn't it? Yeah, and testosterone, much like uh, testosterone, it appears is weakening the immune system in the face of influenza. Uh, testosterone in the face of gamma radiation creates a cascading effect that makes you totally hulk out, bro. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Wow, I, I remember the original where poor guy Lou got Ferrigno. exposed. <laughs> yeah, who was deaf in real life, wasn't he? What is deaf? Yeah, in that, real life? that's why he talked funny. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, well, I remember the original because he was basically doing research to see why he couldn't save his family that were in a car crash, wasn't it? And he couldn't get them out of the car, whereas other people, women, for instance, it had loved ones stuck in like burning cars, suddenly got this bout of strength that could turn the car over and get their kids out. And that's he was basically doing scientific research to find out why he didn't have that ability when his parent, when his family were in need. I did not. I did not know that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so really, men were just a bunch of weak bitches. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's actually the exact conclusion in this British Medical Journal paper. 
it's not really for people. <laughs> well, certain segments of the internet will be loving that. Yeah, that, well, that yeah. statement. I told you these men are just a bunch of weak jerks. Uh, well, and, and you know, there's the headline for this show. Yeah, men, men are, are bitches. Bunch, <laughs> men are a bunch of weak bitches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, I mean, well, now, now that you've alienated fifty percent of the population, Flash, uh, and thus fifty percent of our listeners, because you know the whole population are obviously now all listeners. Yeah, I, I mean, our numbers don't quite show it. Like, we're not quite getting the download numbers, but I think there just must be a glitch. There must be a glitch. Well, no, no we've had this discussion before, and we, I, I think it's not so much people aren't downloading it. I think they're all just listening on mass. Right. Like so having. There's one person downloading, and then there's two million people in a crowd listening. You know that's what's <laughs> that's what's happening in North Korea right now. Kim Jong Il is blasting it out over public address systems, over their internal internet system. Yeah. But he's just downloading at once, which is skewing our numbers. We we should maybe take iTunes and Stitcher to task on yeah. this, but that that is in theory what well not in theory that is in fact what is happening. Yeah, I imagine he's also heavily editing parts. No, I don't think so. I think I think we're clean enough <laughs> that we slip under the uh, North Korean uh, censorship radar. The Kim Jong whatever it is um, censorship team. Yeah, yeah, censorship I squad. I, yeah, I think we, uh, we we sail close to the wind a couple of times, but I think we just we skirt <laughs> around it a little bit. We can't. We 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 probably touched on a bit of a nerve when we talked about Mad Mike Hughes the other day building a rocket because obviously yeah. you know the yeah. rocket race is on. He's like shit, right? <laughs> do you think when they're building the rocket they have like Elton John playing in the background rocket man he's like hammering away and building steam engines and putting into a rocket no update on Mad Mike Hughes by the way the launch isn't yet to happen there's still been some complications by the case so. well uh, I got some news for you uh, and this actually ties into a little bit of an announcement we have I have for our listeners um, it's all a sham Mad Mike what? was a sham. He's not launching. He is not launching. It was basically he admitted it was a publicity stunt and he achieved his goals of um, highlighting uh, the theory of flat earth and getting more attention to it. Oh because people were being Lord. like, what was going on? So anyway, so the, so the, the other announcement then is that you can find this on our website, toobradforyou.wordpress.com is what it is right now. It's also, you can get it in the Instagram and the Twitter links, and I'm I am making an effort to add more content to the website. So updates on stories. I'm going to do a bit of blogging from there, you know, writing some stuff. Um, you're going to get, starting as of last week, more detailed show notes. <laughs> so you can actually get the information from the stuff that we talk about. Uh, you can get it there. So, yeah. So there's an update on Mad Mike uh, on there. Uh, when I was doing the show notes, turns out it's as we thought. The guy's just a real jerk. Oh well, I'm somewhat disappointed. Well, uh, part of me wants to pick up his mantle and prove him wrong now. What? That you can shoot a rocket up there and prove that the Earth a is steam? Flat? Yeah, steam. Yeah. Part of me's like, screw you, man, Mike. I'm going to take your theory, build a steam-powered rocket, and prove to you that the Earth is flat, just to put two fingers in your face, or prove that the Earth is round. No, I'm going to prove that it's flat, and he could have been the first to do it <laughs> if he'd have bothered building the rocket and having the courage of his convictions and going through with it. Yeah, it's just such a jerk-around move that's not uh, surprising from a member of the Flat Earth community. 
Well, I also want to know if I'm going to get my $25 back that I paid to watch him on the internet launch his rocket, which has never happened. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Wow. I, I charged it to the uh, podcast bank account. That's okay there, Flash, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can recoup that in taxes somehow. Okay, that's fine. We're running our taxes through Bermuda, so... Oh, okay, that's, that's good. Well, well, they haven't found that in the Paradise Papers, so we're all good so far. <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe next year once we really grow, once our well, North Korea revenue starts coming in. And I, I wonder why the bank account was so empty, but now it's in Bermuda, which would explain why you have that lovely glow, that lovely tan about you. That's right, that's right. Well, another another perfect segue knocked out of the park. Uh, well I do what I can. Ground. I do what I can. Well done. And the good thing is we do it so subtly that we then don't draw attention to the fact that we've set up these segues, which is brilliant. That's what I particularly like about this show. I don't... I, I, no segue can go unnoticed. That's true. We should, we should give credit where credit's due. So, That's right. Flash, thank you for your segue. You're welcome right. for the one that I've just provided you. That's what right. a lovely, healthy, tanned glow you have. Boom. Well, the question then is, where? how did I get this tan? It's the middle of, it's the, middle of the winter. It's Lord, true, knows, the Lord knows... Deutschland hasn't seen the sun in in ages, so it wasn't natural, I guess, is, is the mm. conclusion. And this is where our new study, uh, a new study takes us. The way in which people tan, whether they use uh, risky tanning methods, so these would be like actually, you know, UV radiation, so tanning beds and um, natural sunlight, but like without lotion or anything you're just you're trying to get that real burn on so anything like that is like a risky way to to tan so trump we know you're listening north korea's listening trump must be listening uh watch the tanning bed man because it's a risky you know it's a risky it's a risky move but we already knew this it's what you know one of the causes of skin cancer and this is the what they the the purpose of the study was, or what they're one of the things they're researching is just like how to get through to people about um, you know, the dangers, I guess, of, of skin cancer and, and direct UV. So they've identified that there's this risky way to tan, and the people that do these risky tanning behaviors are also more likely to engage in other risky appearance appearance related behaviors. So your extreme weight loss. You know, where you're doing, where you're taking right. pills, where you're taking pills or you're, you're purging, you're puking after you eat, you're taking laxatives, you know, all those, uh, basically anything that Gwyneth Paltrow is, is uh, promoting on her website, all these types of behaviors. Then you got your cosmetic surgery, your Botox, you know, all these lovely things, waxing even. Apparently hair removal via waxing is risky. Um, there's infections and whatnot that uh, that can come about and then they also linked it to tattoos and piercing which they didn't necessarily necessarily say were risky but it's just a it's another i guess people would say extreme way of of altering your appearance so that was all lumped into one group so then they looked at the people that were quote unquote safe tanners so people that would use um, maybe like a bronzing cream uh, or something to get that 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 glow rather than or, the actual UV. How about the tanning drug we talked about a few episodes back? Right, that's right. 
I don't know if that's on the market yet, so uh, it might uh, probably was not included in the study. But yeah, th that would be a safe tanning method. So these kind of things. So these people were less likely to engage in appearance altering behaviors that conveyed certain stereotypes. So basically like tattoos or piercings with visual symbols or messages. But they were still likely to engage in the other risky related behaviors. So basically the two groups of tanners, the safe and the unsafe, were all prone to other risky or extreme appearance altering behaviors. But right. the safe tanners didn't want to get tattoos or um, piercings or something that would put them in a box that would like kind of label them, you know, or that would convey some kind of a stereotype. I guess, I don't know, they didn't want to be hipsters or something like this. So basically they were trying to like tease out all this information and basically say like, well, how can we use this to get through to the, to the people about uh, skin cancer? And the brilliant doctor behind this study was like, well, uh, if we make uh, tanning not cool, maybe we can get some people with tattoos to deliver the message and tell people. And then the, the risky, you know, it's like, it was kind of just like, yeah, yeah, Poindexter, you want to get you want to get your message across that tanning's not cool. You just show up at the tanning bed <laughs> and that will turn everybody off of wanting to get the tan. Anyway. That, so that's kind of like what he was like. The Yeah, I didn't get too, too deep into it because it's one of these ones. They did a survey of like 395 people to kind of get this information. And like you said in the flu story, the surveys you kind of alluded to in the flu story, the surveys, a little iffy in 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 the two Brad for you uh, weighting of evidence. Surveys aren't, aren't the... They're not that high up there. But I thought it was kind of interesting that you had this like this pretty clear difference, you know, based on their data set that for whatever reason, these people that like were safe tanners didn't go for the tattoos as much. Like something about that you, you made them not like that was the one thing that was different between the two groups. I mean, the ones that were doing the risky tanning behavior were like more likely to do these extreme things than the other group, but they both did them. The only difference was this, was this tanning thing. And I was just thinking about like, so I saw it, I have tattoos. So I was, you know, naturally read it. And I was trying to think about my tanning behavior, which I never really, you know, I didn't really put well, a lot you're from, of... You, you're, you're from Canada. I'm guessing, you know, you don't really have to worry about that too much. Well, yeah. Well, so this is like I I never used sunscreen or tanning lotion really as a younger person. Well, you never like, saw to, the sun for the first twenty five years. Yeah, no, 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 no. You see the sun, and that's the thing is that like when you do see the sun in Canada, like in this, you've got to get out there and get that while you can, you know. And actually, <laughs> it's kind of not. We have lots of sun in Canada. It's just minus twenty. <laughs> it's. Where I'm from, it's probably to, one of the sunniest places tourism, on earth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you just you know it doesn't warm you up once when the surrounding <laughs> air temperature is minus twenty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but so it's it's like yeah, as a younger person, you know, and I chalk this up just to being you know not a young person you know, that, that that doesn't think about the future and and the risks and stuff. But it was like yeah, you know, I never really used a tanning lotion. Did I like having a tan? Yeah, of course. You know, it was one of those things that was it looked according to society, it looked good. 
I didn't actually start using tanning cream really, you know, on a regular basis, like regularly until I got tattoos because I was like, oh, I don't want to wreck my tattoos. <laughs> I don't want them to like fade and then all this and then I have to go get the color touched up again. So I was like, I better put some cream on there. So for me, using sun tanning lotion didn't happen until I had the tattoos and I wanted to kind of protect them. And also I was cheap and I was like, well, if I take good care of them, they won't fade and I won't have to go get them done again. So. So let me just clarify that. When you say tanning lotion, do you mean suntan lotion to stop? Right. The right? Yes. Okay, not phew. That's just, for a moment there, I thought you were, you know, slathering on bronzer every other night ah, during no, the period no. of your life. Okay. Are, we, are we having a communicate, a language barrier thing happening here? Well, yeah, I've got my thumbs pressed for you, Flash. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess something that came to me while you did it, so... Yeah, I guess the people that I know that go to tanning salons are the people that are more conscious, I guess, about their looks. That, you know, Which makes sense. Yeah, which makes sense. They're more likely to be the people that diet and maybe have Botox or whatever else. But then I, I, the interesting part that you brought in there was about the risk part. So I'd be interested to know, do they perceive that risk of, okay, well, I'm going to go and stick myself under a UV lamp three times a week to make myself look good, but I know there is this risk. What would be interesting to me is another study would be to go back and look and say, are they general risk takers in life? Do they drive at 100 miles an hour everywhere? Do they go bungee jumping every other weekend or things like that? That that would be quite yeah. an interesting study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I wonder though, because it's like you could make an obvious distinction and I'm sure they probably do. I, I don't know, but I'm just assuming that they do in like risk literature in that there's probably different types of of risk seeking or risk behavior right like there's like you're suggesting the bungee jumping the thing that's got to be like an adrenaline fix thing right whereas this is like you might you might not perceive the risk because there is none of that attached there's no real stimulus attached there's no it's just just tanning you know it's a long-term thing but right. I guess the I guess the stimulus is oh I look good that releases endorphins whatever yeah yeah, yeah. neurochemicals that trigger things so yeah I just wonder there then the next link to that is if that was the case then do insurance companies start saying well do you do you use fake tan do you use UV UV lamps and depending on that is what we're gonna you know bump your car insurance up for or life insurance or yeah, well, you could just say you. I mean, I think they probably already do make the distinction on on health insurance for that because of the skin cancer risk. I mean, right. it's the it's the biggest risk factor for skin cancer is is right. is UV, and I mean, that's yeah, we all we've all known that for a while. So I don't know what to think of this one. Like, I don't like I'll you know on the updated website plug plug, uh, I will put all the information up there because. I don't know. It just seems like one of those ones. It's like, well, duh. People that you know are 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 doing extreme things for looks are going to do extreme things for looks. Like I said, the only interesting, you know, our, our different one was that, you know, these for whatever reason, people that don't tan as much or were safe tanners, with didn't want the tattoos that had you know, put them in a stereotypical basket. But other than that, I mean, like quotes from the from the researcher that did the study was just like 
He says here, quote, one way to change the appeal of tanning would be to make it uncool. If I tan and people look at me funny, I'm not going to tan anymore. Sweet. Thanks, Dr. Yu. That's his name. It's like, you nailed it. You Way to get through to the kids. You're really going to prevent them from doing all these things because you're, you're going to make it uncool. Like, it's just, I don't know. But, well, but, yeah, I, to that degree, I get it. But then actually, and I, I didn't just, so actually this afternoon when I was having having a quick break and there was a um, program on TV and they were talking about um, people flocking to the coasts and things in, in specifically in the UK for holidays and where that culture has come from. And they were actually then talking about um, a little bit about that culture was spurned on, and they think the originator of that was um, Coco Chanel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's, they mention that in this in this right. press before, release I'm reading too. Before that, a town was seen as something that the working classes had because they were the ones that would be outdoors working. Yeah. And it was seen um, to be more beautiful, to be, yeah, to be as white as white as possible and to be pale. Yeah. Uh, and then she turned that on its head. So it's obviously interesting that society flip then so you wonder would society ever flip back yeah and i mean i i i am being a bit i guess a bit hard on it uh and it's one of those things it's like we always talk about like well you know so it's as silly as the research seems at least there's like research behind it and you you, you need yeah. it yes that's all true i'm still gonna shit on this type of stuff because <laughs> i find it quite fun um but yeah, I mean that's what he's talking about too. Is this idea that it's it, it was stigmatized to be a good thing when it was previously a bad thing, and he's like, you could do that again. It just shows right. that you can do it again. And but again, we all knew that culture comes and goes. Things go in and out of fashion. Yeah, I'm waiting for hammer pants to come back because I got a whole closet full of them. You know. So have they ever gone out of fashion? Hammer pants? Yeah. Yeah. I just found out. And I thought that like coming to Germany. I did not Germany, get that memo. I thought coming to Germany, I was like, oh, yeah, hammer pants got to be a thing over there. When I found out they were cool in Canada, I was like, wow, it's Europe. Yeah. They're into all sorts of weird things. Yeah. Although there is some weird sweatpants fashion going on over here in Germany. I don't know if they have it so much in the UK, but trendy, fashionable sweatpants. Yeah. That this guy wants to do an inane study on something. That's the one to go, but I, 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 I don't want to go, go anywhere near somebody else's sweatpants. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's a fashion I don't want to delve into, <laughs> literally or figuratively. Yeah. Well, so there you have it. A little sociology study that we can all, you know, make fun of in some <laughs> respect. Uh, I sure enjoy it. And again, as a, as someone who identifies as someone with tattoos, I'm not sure I'm totally by it. And I think that they're stigmatizing as tattoo people a little bit too much. And that if they wanted to use us in ads to promote their message, I think they'd really have to think about how they're representing tattooed people and people that identify as people with tattoos. Well, that was a very profound statement. <laughs> I don't really know where to go with that. I'm not, I'm not used to sincere... Fine statements like that. You've kind of thrown me off my kilter a little bit. Well, you know, as a member of the tattooed community, I don't like to be stereotyped and put into boxes. Do you have like jamborees once a year and things like that as part of that community or not? 
Yeah, Burning Man. Okay. <laughs> any music festival. And any music festival. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's where all the tattoo people congregate. I've been to well, a except for of the jam- Mormon Tabernacle Choir. But, right, you know. exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. Any is a big word, my friend. There are only three letters. All right, all the cool ones. Because <laughs> everybody knows that us people with tattoos are just cooler than everybody else, right? That's why we got them. Well, you've got you've got many things, Flash. <laughs> and copious amounts of cool is one of them. Well, yeah. Yeah, you you can't you can't bottle what this man's got, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I've tried. <laughs> um, okay, well, I've noticed you've no in no way given me a segue into my next story. So I'm you're just on gonna, your own, man. You're on your I'm, own on this one. I'm literally just going to jump from my horse onto the stagecoach that's running out of control. Bring <laughs> this baby back under control, uh, and I'm going to jump or lurch. Uh, which is my own little segue uh, to some news this week about uh, the study of uh, Huntington Korea or Huntington disease. Um, I've heard of it. Okay. So it's uh, a neurological disorder um, that is um, prevalent in, um, actually, I'm not sure of the exact prevalence globally, um, but it identifies in people between their thir- in their 30s and 40s, mainly between 30 and 50. Um, and once you're diagnosed, after symptoms appear, then within 10 to 20 years, it results in death. Um, it's an autosomal dominant disorder, so it's passed on via the genes. It's hereditary. There's only around about 10% of cases that are caused through just normal mutation if there's not a, a, a inherited element to it. Um, and what it means by being autosomal dominant is basically if there's a man and woman, they have children that if the man or woman has it then there's a 50 percent chance of one of their offspring having it so it's if it's in the family then it's a big big problem because it's a killer uh the symptoms are neurological uh so you'll have people that are shaking or uh, unable to have clear thought processes it might affect their movement and their behavior um and what causes it is a defect in one of the genes that produces um the gene itself is called hunting tin, and it produces a protein by the same name. And the protein um, plays a role in brain development um, during uh, the developmental years, but also before birth. Uh, and then actually people aren't 100% sure what its role is after that. They think it, it serves normal brain cell function, um, but nobody's 100% sure on that. But basically, people with Huntington disease, um, the gene is defect. Defective. So actually, the protein um, that gets made is actually an abnormal protein, and it becomes toxic to the surrounding uh, brain cells. So, but it um, still does the function that it needs to in in pre development in developmental still, time. It does, but then it just spirals out of control. Okay, and that's um, why it's the late onset thing. And that's why it's the late onset. So there's a whole. Um, as I sort of delve into this, there's a whole interesting piece that I'm not going to touch on tonight, but. I thought was interesting, so I'll, I'll mention it in case people want to go off, which talks about the ethics around the diagnosis of this disease. So, you know, if if you know that it runs in your family, at what age do you go and get tested? Because the impact of knowing that you are a carrier or not basically gives you a death sentence. So, Yeah, it, and it, it gives you an a, like a, a 
for sure 50% chance of passing it on to your child. Right, exactly. So, you know, there's there's the argument around, well, obviously before I have, you know, if I know it's in the family before I have children, I want to know if I have it. But obviously then there's an element of, from a parental point of view of, well, do we have our kids tested or not? And if we do have them tested, when do we tell them the result? Well, and, and do you have kids or not? Well, there you go. So I'm not going to touch on any of that. What I am going to touch on is this week, um, for the first time, um, they've published that um, the defect has been corrected inpatient for the first time. Ah. Um, and what they've done is they've injected into the spinal fluid um, a drug that actually lowered the amount of toxic protein within the brain. Um, the old spinal tap. Uh, well, literally, turn it all the way up to 11. Yeah, that's right. Um, so this uh, the study is being... Um, Conducted at uh, UCL, University College London. Uh, it's, run, it's been running 46 patients. Um, and basically, they've uh, been using this drug where they inject it. And actually, the drug itself is actually um, a DNA sequence. And actually, that sequence actually goes in and basically blocks or takes out the messenger RNA that's used to transcribe the DNA. So in the synthesis of the gene, normally you have DNA and then mRNA comes along and transcribes that and then replicates itself. And what this drug does is basically bind to that mRNA and take it out of the equation. So it stops production of the protein altogether. Yeah, um, because there's, yeah, the, the inter, like the messenger RNA has to read the DNA and then the, take that message to the protein building machinery and, and then the protein is made. So if they can stop that message from being delivered, basically from DNA, from gene to protein building machinery, they can effectively shut down the production of the thing. And I guess because you no longer need it after your developmental years and it's just spiraling out of control, then there you go. Uh, yeah, and that's and that for me was the interesting part. So it's like, well, surely if you just block this, that's, you know, yes, you're taking away the toxic protein, but that, you know, hunting tin has to be doing something you would think, but that, and that's what they're saying. They don't actually know what Huntington does other than maybe supports normal brain cell function. Well, maybe we'll find out in these. People. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing. So far, they've not reported any ill effects or adverse events, and they've seen, um, at least a progression, uh, sorry, a halting of the progression of mm -hmm. the disease. And in some cases, they've actually seen a return of motor function and things like that in some severely affected, uh, disease sufferers. Yeah, so they can kind of reverse it a bit, turn back the clock a bit. Yeah, they think so. That, that's, I think they're seeing this more as a, prevent, a possible preventative rather than a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. full-on cure, but they have they have seen that. So um, one of the patients that they uh, were interviewing this was basically the way that they describe it to people when they try to do it is basically they say if you take Alzheimer's, motor neuron disease, and Parkinson's and put that all as one illness, that's effectively what Huntington is. So, you know, th three diseases by themselves that are massive. So if you imagine those combined, that that's the impact this disease have. Mm -hmm. um, but what they're saying, so the company that actually developed this drug is actually, uh, they licensed it and they've now licensed it to uh, a major pharmaceutical company. So hence why it's progressing through trials quite quickly now. But they're saying that this might open the door to other ways of treating other degenerative neurological disorders like Alzheimer's and like Parkinson's in the way in the way the therapy works. Um, so obviously with, with Alzheimer's, that's caused by a buildup of amyloid plaques in the brain. So this the technology behind this could also have a 
a use in in Alzheimer's, for instance. Yeah, stopping basic, basically shutting down a protein production. Yeah, protein production yeah. of a protein that's that's just not so good for you. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So, do they have to keep readministering? Like every so often, they have to keep getting a, a re up of this because I mean, if the if the gene if the you're not affecting the DNA, uh, or in fact even the reading of the DNA. It's just you're blocking the message once the DNA has been read. You're blocking that that red message going to the protein machinery. You, I would think that you would have to keep doing that. You would have to keep doing that, yeah, because you're not you're not directly taking out the gene. You're taking out yeah. the, the messenger. Yeah. Literally, you're killing the messenger. the messenger. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes yeah. killing so, the messenger is good. There's a yeah. yeah. Should have kept there that for the summary, but I'll just throw that in there now. <laughs> I'll repeat it again in the summary in case people just skip through to the summary. <laughs> Uh, well, no, that's really cool. I mean, there's a lot of, um, a lot now that we're, you know, we're finding now that we know more about, um, the, the way in which genes are turned on and off or the way in which, you know, the, the messages from genes get sent to the, to the protein machinery, you know, that specific one with this messenger RNA, this mRNA that you were talking about, we've kind of known for a while, but finding ways to kind of block that you know, is, is, is really interesting. And we're, and we're, you know, we, I think we're going to see a lot more studies like this coming out. Um, not only because of our ability to, you know, synthesize DNA the way like to really specific, specific, uh, requirements. So for, for example, for this drug and stuff, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is turning more and more to biological products that are actually made by living cells and, you know, interact with living cells in such a way, not synthetic ones. I mean, we've discussed this on previous episodes of the show. Um, and there's a couple recent stories about uh, gene editing in, in, in using methods that don't actually cut DNA. And this one's simpler, or similar because you're effectively editing gene expression. So you're editing the phenotype. Um, but without actually cutting the DNA or altering the DNA, which that in itself may have consequences that we don't know about cutting DNA or, and if you screw it up, if you do it wrong, you could put mutations in. Um, this may or may not be the subject of the first little blog piece that's going to go up on the website too. So keep your eyes out for that. Plug, plug, check out the website. <laughs> um, but yeah, really cool. And I mean, really promising news for people with Huntington's disease. Um, cause I can imagine that that's, you know, I can only imagine what having the sort of ticking time bomb inside yeah. of your, inside of your cells, like inside of your body, like what that must be like psychologically to deal with. And then the, the idea to have kids and, and everything like that. I mean, personally, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's got to be a tough thing to deal with. So anything that could uh, help alleviate that is, well, I mean, amazing. Yeah, I think it's a, an interesting one. I think, and we touched on it a couple of episodes back about the guy with uh, Hunter's syndrome, so not related to this at all, which, as you mentioned, was, you know, with the DNA editing, the gene therapy effectively, yeah. you know, inpatient, altering the, the DNA. Uh, I've, I've been keeping an eye out for updates on that. I don't have one yet. I will keep an eye out. But actually, researching the Huntington story was 
they started talking about one, well, you know, now that we have all this genome mapping data and the pharmacogenomics that you talked about with the pharma industry is an fantastic chasing, then, you know, potentially gene therapy is coming for this as well. You know, there are, there are, um, targets out there being chased that actually will, you know, edit out the, the abnormal gene in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that would be a full on cure. So, yeah, I think, you know, we scratched the surface a couple of weeks back. We've scratched it again today. I, I think this is something that's going to snowball, you know, in years to come with scientific research as it goes goes forward. So we got a, we got a number of conditions that are going to be on the hit list. Yeah. You know, we're exactly. making we're just basically making a hit list. Yeah. Huntington's disease. Watch yourself. Hunter's disease. Watch yeah. yourself. Diabetes. Watch yourself. Alzheimer's. Yeah, exactly. If we can remember to get to you, watch yourself. <laughs> See, I was I was going to do an Alzheimer's show, but I was going to go back and say, Hunter's disease, watch yourself. Hunting disease, watch yourself. Oh, we've said that. Well, we said yeah. that. <laughs> anyway, you know. Once in a while, I like, I like you to be the, the talent flash and put in some lighthearted brevity, and I'll be the science guy. So, uh, you know, well, you occasionally, we, occasionally we, we do a little bit of role reversal, not gender yeah. reversal, role reversal. You did it. You did a great job explaining that one, and a great story. I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, like that's that's really cool. And like you said, this is a, I think this is a, a topic that will continue to follow as more stuff comes out. Um, I'll try to put more stuff out on the website about it. Plug, so, plug, plug, plug. We'll get the episode. We'll get the updates there. You'll be able to find the updates to this kind of stuff there. Um, and yeah, I'm gonna. I may or may not. Have a little uh, blog piece about this, some of this, some of these okay. ideas, uh, in the works as well. So yeah, please do check that out uh, if you remember to, and if you remember what the website's called. Indeed, but otherwise we'll just keep plugging away and you know, yeah. re- reminding you. So eventually you'll just get bored of us nagging, much like your parents did when you were kids, right? Uh, and eventually you'll listen to us. But to move on to our next story, we will be able to find the memory that we've now implanted in your head about our website and all of our other great stories. Because for the first time, researchers have actually been able to find what's called the engram. Have you heard of mother? E-N-G-R-A-M-S. Obviously, you're not a Scientologist, otherwise you'd be very familiar with engrams. So engrams, yeah, clearly. Uh, we'll have to work on that. Wow, you're trying to drag me into your cult flash. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. So engrams is a concept that was com- that that was devised by a German biologist in 1904, um, and it's basically that there is a chunk of physical brain cells that hold a memory. And that's what the engram is, is the physical um, bit of okay. information that's holding the memory in your in your brain. Um, and he, well, he had this idea and uh, thought that, you know, that having a memory must leave some kind of physical trace on the brain. And that if you could stimulate that physical place or, or trace, you could then stimulate the memory and sort of relive the memory. This was his theory about memory. And science fiction grabbed a hold of it and 
by science fiction, I also mean, yes, Scientology, because that is, in fact, science fiction. Uh, but this is what they are trying to purge with their uh, auditing process. So, you know, when you hang on to the little battery, car battery tied to two tin cans and it, the meter kind of moves. If you know anything about Scientology, this is like a big process in Scientology. They're trying to they're trying to get you to relive your bad memories. And if you relive them enough times, you purge them out. So they use the term engrams. You have these engrams in your brain. They're bad because they're bad engrams about bad memories. And if you think about them enough, we can find them and purge them and like shoot them out. So really surely if you, yeah, surely if you, a bad memory might be, don't touch that pan on the stove, it's hot. So if I purge yeah, that obviously. out, I'm going to go and touch the pan again. Well, this is why you have the e-meter, which is the car battery connected to two tin cans, and some so, guy trying to get like you some to... Some sort of torture device, wasn't that a lethal weapon when Mel Gibson yeah. was hanging out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's like, and I didn't really want to go into all the Scientology because that's okay. not the cool. This, it's obviously bullshit. I thought I thought that's where you were going. It, no, no, no. But okay. in Scientology, they have. I have to say it because it's so silly. They have. Um, <laughs> you are not holding back tonight, Flash, are you? No, it's ridiculous. Um, the this meter apparently, they this thing that they've devised is uh, it will register when they've reached the negative engram when they found the negative engram that's causing you stress so that's when the, the the needle will move and then they hammer on that they like continue to push you and push you and push you on that uh thing and it's really just a way to get you to tell all your secrets to scientology so that they can blackmail you later um okay so moving on because it turns out the engram is actually it's actually real like they've 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 been able to identify where memory is being created in the brain and actually moved around. Um, So memory we've known uh, has been made, is made in the hippocampus region of the brain. Uh, And we knew this because ages ago, uh, again, probably in the 1900s, I'm not totally sure, uh, doctors removed a man's hippocampus to treat some other uh, ailments that they believed were caused by the hippocampus. So probably seizures or some sort of muscular function, neuro problem. Um, and when they did that, when they removed his hippocampus, he was no longer able to create new memories, but his previous memories you know, up to the surgery were all there. So he didn't lose all his memories, but he couldn't create new memories. Interesting. Yeah, so this is how they knew that, like, obviously the hippocampus has some function then in forming memory, but it's not necessarily where memory is stored. So it gave this idea that you know, memory is formed in the hippocampus and then stored somewhere else so that it's, so that it's moving. Um, so this has kind of been the theory forever, um, but no one's really been able to verify it uh, really specifically. Um, until recently, uh, there was a, a group in Japan that's using optogenetics to um, identify, to start to figure out exactly where the memories are coming from, where they're going and all this stuff. So this yeah. is going to bear with me. I'm going to try and work my way through this as best I can because we have to 
get through a few things to understand exactly what's going on. And the first is this optogenetics technique, which we have, we have talked about before, but it's a way in which you can um, alter brain cells so that they respond to light. So that when you um, flash a blue light, I think it is, on the brain cells, they will actually be stimulated and fire um, doing the thing, doing their process that they've been programmed to do. So you have to first alter the brain cells to be able so that they can be turned on by light. Um, and then, and then you, you can go on with this experiment because what they needed to do was they needed to find the, well, identify memory cells. So they know, we already know that memory cells, um, occur in a certain, in the hippocampus and they produce a very specific gene that only memory cells produce. So what they did was they altered only, um, cells in the brain that produce this gene. So they knew they were only going to have uh, memory cells that they could yeah. turn on and off by lights. Um, and in doing so, they did that to a bunch of mice and then they did a process of fear conditioning. So fear conditioning is, they sounds terrible, I know, but you put the animal, you put the mouse in a box that has very distinct patterns on the wall um, and then you give it a, a foot shock. So um, enough to make it, you know, smart a little bit, but it's not going to, you know, severely damage the animal or anything like that. But basically you do that enough time so that even putting it just in the box and not giving it the shock, it will react as though it's about to get the shock because it has the memory of when I'm yeah. in the box, I get shocked. You know? yeah. So you create that memory. So they've created the memory in the animal and then they're able to look at the brain cells that are firing when the memory is created. So when they put it in the box um, and don't give it the shock, but it still reacts that way, they I, they see which brain cells are firing. Like, okay, so that must be where the memory is. It's in the hippocampus. It's the memory cells that we've altered. So we can turn them on now right. without being in the box. We can turn them on with the light and see if the animal reacts as if the fear memory is is replaying. Okay. And in fact, it does. So when they've turned these cells on, this specific group of cells that they identified through the fear conditioning uh, experiment, when they turn them on with the blue, blue light, the mouse acts as though it was in the box about to get shocked. So they basically, they make it relive that memory. So they found that, yes, this is the memory, the specific memory of the fear, and we can turn it on and off. So it basically confirms the idea of the engram that there is a physical bundle of cells that are holding the memory and that you right. can actually turn the memory back on so that was kind of the first step and i think they did that back in like 2012 um so then the next thing they wanted to see was where is where is the memory going after that right. where does it where does it go where is it stored and they had an idea a hypothesis that it's in the prefrontal cortex um, so they did the same thing. They altered memory cells in the prefrontal cortex uh, to be able to be turned on by the light. Did the same thing. Uh, got the animal to produce the, you know, to remember the fear conditioning, all this thing. And when they identified the cells in the prefrontal cortex that were lighting up in association with the memory, they again were able to turn them on with the blue light. So they identified again that yes, 
these memory, the fear memory is occurring simultaneously in the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex. And it was, it was basically instantaneous. So it was almost like uh, as soon as the memory was formed in the hippocampus, it was also being formed in the prefrontal cortex. So almost at the same time, within a day, they figured it was this transfer was happening um, because they could turn the memory on using only the prefrontal cortex cells within a day of, of doing the whole making sure that it has the fear memory and everything like that. Now, the interesting thing is though, is that, well, that's, that's fairly interesting by itself. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. It's, it's super interesting, but it goes even further because what, what happened is, is there's the next, there's this process of cementing the memory in the prefrontal cortex. So it's there, but it's not totally cemented because when they, um, when they did have the, so they could provoke the memory, but when they put the, when they put the rat in the box without giving it the foot shock, so it would cringe, like it was remembering that the foot shock is coming. The prefrontal cortex cells didn't really fire. Like they weren't like instantaneously firing along with the hippocampus ones. So they were able to induce the memory from these cells, but like they weren't, those cells weren't active when the memory was happening in the animal and they weren't active. They didn't become active when the process of reliving the memory was happening um, until that activity faded in the hippocampus. So basically without you, if you take away the light and you're not using the light to stimulate the memory, it can, the, the cells that will are, reliving the experience we'll say are either only happening in the hippocampus or the prefrontal cortex not both at the same time so the message is being imprinted in both areas very very quickly in you know instantly in the hippocampus and within day in the prefrontal cortex but when it's when it's being formed is it being formed in both at the same time do they think or is it being formed in the hippocampus and then pushed I think that the way the theory, like what they're thinking is that it's in the hippocampus and then very quickly after it's moving, right. the, the imprint of it or the traces of it are moving to the, to the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex. Enough right. that you can turn it on with the light, that you can use optogenetics to turn it on, but not enough that when the animal is just reliving the experience, like being in the box and remembering that it's about to get shot, the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex don't fire it at the same time. Right, But the memory does transfer because it, it starts in the hippocampus. So when you put the animal in the box and it remembers that it's going to get shocked, that'll be hippocampus, hippocampus, hippocampus for like a couple weeks. And then that activity starts to fade and it moves to the prefrontal cortex. And then after a couple weeks, it's all in the prefrontal cortex. So, so you know, it is moving. There's a, I, I, there's a, it's a way that it's, 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 right. and they don't know how that happens. They don't know how it cements. They don't know what the process of cementing it in the prefrontal cortex is. They have no idea like that. This is still the mystery. What is the glue? What is the transfer? How is it going? We know that you need other pieces of the brain, the amygdala and stuff, because when they shut off, they do you know different neurobiology techniques to shut off incoming signals from different parts of the brain. The memory didn't cement in the prefrontal cortex. So you, they know that you need like some other parts of the brain, the amygdala, I believe, um, is involved in this process, but they don't know how or why it's doing. Basically, they, they've been able to show hippocampus is where it starts. It's directly associated with the prefrontal cortex right away, but then that 
that memory like consolidation that cementing of the memory is yeah. basically the transfer of it from the hippocampus to the and prefrontal the cortex and i i guess and i guess it is a loose analogy but when you started talking about about the transfer from the hippocampus to the prefrontal cortex and it it's almost like it's a quicker recall from the hippocampus when that you know when they're conditioning these Mm-hmm. Is almost. So I guess the analogy that I sort of think about in my head in a nerdy type of way was in an IT sort of fashion when you have a a laptop with a, a hard disk drive, but you have the you know, you have your RAM memory. So for the you know, the immediate functions you're using the RAM memory, and then when you commit something to save it for a longer term, then you're pushing that into the hard disk drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Like, and it, it's and I wonder what the uh um what why like why do you need to push it yeah from one to the to the other you know like you know it's all brain but there, cells but, there, but there, yeah but then i guess it is almost that's the storage isn't it it's a filing cabinet effectively you've got the hippocampus is the scribe and the guy taking notes and then right we finished taking notes on this right well let's file this we might need it later lads so right we'll file that in the prefrontal cortex under d for danger yeah you know, or whatever Exactly, and I'd be, I'd also be interested to know like what the difference in um, in the cell makeup like are are the cells they were able to they know that they're memory cells like I said because they make this certain gene or they have this certain gene that makes a certain protein that's why they were able to um, alter specifically memory cells to be light sensitive to be turned on by the light so. We know that there's those memory, those two types of cells occurring in both regions of the brain. But is there any difference in terms of short-term versus long-term storage? Like, is there other differences in those cells that make them, these are the long-term ones, these are the short-term ones? Or maybe it's even just like the process of moving it. Like, maybe that's what, maybe that's the cementing thing. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. That sounds like it might be like hippy-dippy or something, but... Yeah, well, and I think memory to me is always a it, well, it's a it's a really deep box. So you think you know, think about us as a living organism. The fact that we're this complex and we've got this far, be that however you believe we got here, evolution, God, whatever. Mm-hmm. The fact that all this stuff in biology goes on is incredible. You know, we're so complex, yet the majority of us function, you know, normally with no ill effects. The fact that, you know, I'm looking around this room now and I can see all my artifacts, I can feel the temperature, I can smell the smells, that's fairly incredible. But the fact that a week down the road, I'll still be able to remember the things that were on this table, the smells, the temperature, Mm -hmm. the experience, that is even more incredible. How on earth do we recall that? And how do we encode that in the brain, as you said, in a series of neurochemicals and proteins that sit in the brain? And how do we recall? That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. It really is when you when you think about like the the complexity of the machinery that's involved. Yeah, you know, like on some level, I've always thought that it just it seems rudimentary because it's it's just a bunch of electrons firing. Yeah, but it's then the brain. how the brain does, does that? It. Yeah, but and and it's just okay. So it's just electrical impulses happening in a certain section of my brain. That's all it is. It's just electricity. Yeah, you know, that's it. But how does that get translated? like you said, into these complex feelings, emotions, memories, you know, a lifetime of memories, the emotions that are associated with those memories. You know, how does, how does a bunch of 
basically firecrackers of electricity going off get translated into that like what is and that's where the layers of complexity then make it this huge thing you know that's just mind-boggling and and so hard to so hard to tease out but yeah the idea that you could physically you know see it and then obviously the, the the therapeutical aspect of this would be then if you could identify certain memories traumatic memories or whatever you may actually be able to um reduce the stress of those so like right. post-traumatic uh, yeah, yeah, yeah stress disorder and something like this so in a sense do what scientology is claiming they can do but actually do it in a scientific way oh, which, i thought you were going to come back round and do a full reversal and say that scientology is the way forward there i said no, no, no. They they no. might be on to the idea, but they weren't the first one with the idea. This German guy was. Okay. Scientology is just, you know, it's a big hoax. But now that we can identify where these memories are, it does open this I open the door to treating traumatic memories in a physical way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to just Okay, so that is all amazing, and as we've said, the whole biology is fantastic all the rest of it what i want to know what i'm sure the listeners want to know is are we on the verge of total recall <laughs> are we going implanting to be implanting memories are we going to be able to implant memories are we going to be able to become spies on mars in our heads wow that, that to me that i mean yeah i'm going to say right away yeah. Okay. That's of good. course. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> but think about it. Think, let's 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 walk through the steps. I mean, that's way more difficult, obviously, than identifying bad memories and trying to, for lack of a better term, purge them. Right. Because you can you can you can in real time speak to someone, and be like, "What is the memory that's troubling you?" And then see the cells that are going off, find those, you know, that that kind of thing. But it, like we were just saying, how do you turn electrical impulse data into an emotion, a feeling, a memory, a smell, uh, all this? Like taking that amount of information of complex firings going on and somehow putting it in like some algorithm that deciphers exactly what it means. And then re-implanting that back into somebody's head. I think we're going to need AI for that. And then by the time we have AI, maybe it's, well, then we're talking the matrix. Well, 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 then then it's too late because by that time, AI would have become conscious and wiped the face of the earth. Or or just have us hooked up and be implanting memories and stuff into our brains that never really existed anyway. Yeah. Effectively putting us in the matrix. So yeah. is is this real? I hope so. Well, yeah, it feels good, but you know, listeners, ask yourself: Is this real? <laughs> it's good. It's good. Every once in a while, just do that. Just be like, "What is this real?" Yeah. Is oh, this I, real? I, 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 I just like to pinch myself. Yeah, here you go. Right. Well, Flash, I, I, we've been on a, a, a journey tonight, and I, I don't really want us to stop. But I'm, you know, I'm well aware that I think we could potentially go on for hours, and we've already been going on for over an hour already. So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna rein us in, if you don't mind. I'm gonna 
you know, I've, I've jumped on the stagecoach. I've dragged one of the horses to slow down. The other one's still trying to sprint away. Yeah. So I've taken out my trusty Colt 45 and I've shot that one because uh, <laughs> it was never going to stop. It's never going to stop. And I've effectively yeah. used that horse as the brake for the other three. So yeah. um, I'm just going to wrap up where we've been, as, uh, as I always do. do. Um, so, well, firstly, I'm just going to say I, I am accepting donations to my steam-powered rocket uh, that I will be building. <laughs> Uh, just to prove and that and you're actually going to launch. I am actually going to launch. I'm actually going to do it. I might. I might not necessarily be the one in the rocket. It's fucking dangerous. Whoa, I'm the one in the rocket. Are we going to put podcast mascot Tabby Bruce up there? I hope not. No, 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 no. I, I think there'll be a way of generating some revenue for our uh, Bermuda bank account here, Flash. So I think what we'll do is we'll open it up to bidding to listeners. Uh, you know, they'll fund the building of the rocket, and then yeah. they can bid to be the person in the rocket. I would say you might even get even more money if we bid, if they get to bid on putting someone else in the rocket. So, well, so, yeah, I guess a bit like Room 101. So who <laughs> would you want to put in that, that yeah. rocket? So, yeah. So firstly, donations are open. Um, send me checks, please. Or I mean, I'm not going to give out my bank details. Just be uh, <laughs> very open and honest about it. Um where else have we been? Uh, Man flu is real. Scientific fact. That's locked down. It's published. So uh, for the females listeners out there, what we've been telling you all along, the men are right on this one. We're weak. Love. No, no, no. We, we physically aren't built to fight it off as well as women are. That doesn't make us weaker. It just means we're, we're working with a design flaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, by by picking on us women, by 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 saying that it doesn't exist, you're effectively picking on a disability, and you wouldn't pick on somebody in a wheelchair. So don't pick on the man in your life when he has man flu. Good point. I like the way you I like the way you worded that. Thank you very much. Um, Flash doesn't have moron tattooed on his forehead, uh, <laughs> especially when it comes to tanning. Uh, that's what we've discovered. And if he did have moron tattooed, he'd be slathering uh, factor fifty all over it so that it was preserved for life, even if he did. Um, for those of you that have just wound through to the summary to then, I know some people do this, they wind through to the summary, they listen to the summary and go, mm, that sounds good, yeah, I'll go back and listen to that. Or, no, there's nothing in there floating my boat, I'll put that on the back burner. Uh, all I'm going to say on this one is, kill the messenger and save a life. That's right. Now you've got to go back and scan through to work out what the hell that means. Um, and, and lastly, if we all remember, if we remember one thing, remember that memory is amazing. It truly is. And we're yeah. just scratching the surface. Indeed, indeed we are. So with that, I'm going to say, listeners, please get in contact with us. Uh, we're coming to the end of the year, so we're looking for your end of year predictions. If you want to start sending those in. Uh, and we'll do a recap uh, soon as well of our predictions for 2017, see how accurate we were. If you want to do that, if you want to get in touch with us uh, on any other topic, uh, you can do that via uh, Twitter. So you can do that to the show, which is at 2 brad for you You can do that to me, uh, at Bradley W. Hayes. Uh, Flash, if they want to hit you up. Uh, at B. Van Pyrdom, as always. Uh, we've got the Instagram, and then as Flash uh, very subtly alluded to throughout the show, you may not have picked up on it because he was very subtle when he did it. Um, f- and I have to give Flash the credit for this because he's he's the the production brains behind all this. I literally just turn up and do the show and go home. He's the <laughs> one that puts all the editing together, does all the production. Like that. 
I'm forever grateful for the fact he does that. He's also took it on himself to revamp the website, which I didn't know we had a website uh, until he told me he was <laughs> revamping it. Uh, so he's going to be putting more content on there. As he said, he's going to be blogging. Um, there'll be uh, follow-ups to some of the news we've done. Flash, if they want to, if the listeners out there want to start getting their fix in between podcasts, where can they find that? Yeah, so it's too bad for you wordpress.com i believe that's that's where we're at right now um so just too bad for you wordpress.com um i've got the links on all the social media accounts though too so if you do Perfect. follow us on the social media accounts if you look in the bio the link will be there um you can stream episodes from there as always i'm going to try and get you know be on top of updates uh, that we have um show notes so i'm not i'm not sure how far back i'll be able to go with that but we'll start from you know last week or last episode moving forward get some show notes and like i said i'm looking for a place to yeah put some of my musings my writings and stuff so get some blogs on there i'm I'm gonna try and throw it out there to some other people i know that might want to get some of their musings or writings out there if they want to put stuff up on there so we're just gonna try and make it uh, a place where you can come and get um, interesting stuff we'll so basically creating a larger version of Twitter. Yeah, cooler too. Okay, no 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 jerks. No no jerks. So, no no jerks. So effectively you and I are gonna get blue ticks next to our name on our own website. So yeah. I feel as if I've accomplished something in life. That is going straight on my CV. But it was, um, I, I mean, we got there, there'll be. The, I'm I'm coming up with ideas of what to put on there. So if you also, I'm open to ideas. So if people want to let me know what the what types of stuff they like to see like whoa flash we're not we're not we're not turning it over to that because it's just gonna be full of weird pornography from some of your canadian friends and that's not what we're going for on that website unless i grossly misread what that website is for you want to pad that bermuda bank account we're gonna have to get a you're gonna have to get our feet a little dirty you know what i'm saying okay right fine send in all your filth people uh make sure it goes to uh the b van paradon end of this relationship (laughs) though you can just filter out the good stuff for me that'd be great (laughs) um flash as always it's been incredible um i think we're probably going to get another episode out before christmas but if we if we don't or whatever happens then please yourself sir have a great christmas great new year listeners have a great christmas great new year but i'm hoping that we'll get another episode out maybe uh just before christmas do you think flash think we can maybe do that yeah possibly i mean who knows we'll see we'll discuss it in a little bit we'll definitely we should be able to get something done before new year's though like we said the the year end review or whatever so anyway yes okay well have a good one and until next time it's been a blast yep thanks my friend it's good to see you as always thank you listeners until next time bye-bye
Yeah, the, what what I'd heard was you sit through the film going, "Oh my god, they've missed a massive part of the plot yeah. here." They've, there's so many gaps, and, and then you wham. get whacked around yeah. the side of the head with it. Yeah, so it's like, mm, cool. Okay. Well, did you see this? <sighs> this and this is one that I thought like maybe I should quickly just like uh, we could talk about tonight too because the movie's coming up. But it was um, some guy, some fucking nerd grad student. Uh, it could be any of us. Well. Yeah. With a postgraduate degree. Like I yeah. you nerd. <laughs> uh now some physics nerd. Uh, uh calculated oh yeah, here it is. Uh which color of lightsaber would be the most powerful based on like wavelengths or something? <laughs> I'd not seen that. Yeah, so red lightsabers are likely to be the weakest type, while purple would be the strongest. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Okay. Yeah, so he goes through his whole. So what is the most? What when I order my lightsaber from Amazon later, what color do I need to get? It goes in terms of weakest to strongest: red, yellow, yeah. green, blue, purple. Mm, I I'd, I'd argue that Yoda's lightsaber is quite powerful, as is. Yeah, but how do you Darth how Vader's. do you know it's more powerful than Darth Vader's? And they hit, they both. Just... Well, how how does this fucking nerd on the internet well, just, now? I'm, I'm reading that right now. Uh, 